right, good morning, everyone. Great to see you all today. Uh, thank you, worship team. Fantastic this morning, uh, as always. Enjoy that very much. And uh, any Sunday school kids, now would be the time for you to go. You're already gone, I see. All right, uh, let's go to the Lord in prayer before we begin today. Lord God, we just pray your peace upon us and upon this service. And Lord, uh, we pray that your Holy Spirit would come now and, and do its work, Lord. Let me be a mouthpiece for you, Lord, and uh, let your Holy Spirit open minds and hearts to receive truth and to know your peace today, Lord. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, well, this is the second week of our Advent season, and this week's theme is peace. And so when we talk about peace, uh, we're talking about the Greek word irene, which is equal to the Hebrew word shalom. And so when we're talking about shalom, we're talking about uh, a very complex Hebrew word. Uh, it, it means uh, the well-being of the entire soul, uh, body, mind, and spirit. Uh, that's the kind of peace that, that uh, we're talking about. And so when you wish someone shalom in, in Hebrew, what you're saying is, uh, I wish you health, I wish you prosperity, I wish you well-being. It's more than just saying that there's peace between uh, you and me. And so uh, that's why in uh, the Hebrew, shalom is used as a greeting, as a hello, and a goodbye, because when you enter into a conversation, you're, you're wishing this peace upon somebody. And then when you part, you're also wishing that peace upon that person until uh, you meet again. And so shalom means this kind of vertical peace that we can have with God. But it also means uh, peace that we have with each other, uh, peace with God vertically, the peace that God gives to us. And it's also a, an inner peace that we can have uh, within ourselves. And, and so you see that, that peace, that shalom, has a wide range of meanings. And because it has a wide range of meanings, it has a wide range of opposites. So, for example, war is the opposite of peace. And hostility is the opposite of peace. But confusion and chaos are the opposite of peace. And fear and worry are also uh, the opposite of peace. A conflict and stress are the opposite of peace. And so whenever any one of these things come into our life, uh, all we want is the removal of that thing that is causing that worry and anxiety, and we want peace. But of all the different meanings that I think uh, peace can have, when we're talking about the context of Advent and the Christmas season, what we really want to focus on is the removal of hostility between God and us. Uh, that's the kind of peace uh, that we focus on. Uh, and that kind of peace comes only from the life and the death of Jesus Christ. He's the one who provides that peace. Uh, and in this sense, when we have this kind of peace with God, the removal of hostility between us and God, uh, then we have peace with him. And it's a gift that God gives us through his son, Jesus Christ. When we accept his son as our savior, and we recognize that Jesus died for our sins and rose from the dead, we accept the Lord Jesus as our savior, we have this peace with God. The hostility between us and God is removed. And when we have that kind of peace in our lives and that kind of hostility removed, then the next thing is that we, we develop these kind of horizontal peace with others and, and peace within ourselves. When we have this kind of peace with God, we should no longer have uh, stress and hostility and conflict and fear and worry and all these other things that disturb our peace. And so 
as we continue uh, today through our Advent series uh, talking about peace, we're going to see peace uh, in a couple different ways. I, I want to talk about how uh, we can have this vertical peace with God, uh, the removal of hostility between God and us as we talk a little bit from Romans uh, chapter 5, verses 8 through 10. We can have that eternal peace with God. And then we'll move on and we'll talk about how having eternal peace, we can then have daily peace. And we'll, we'll look at that from Philippians 4, the passage that Lloyd and Mickey read for us. And then we'll come to the passage where Mary appropriates this peace for herself as we look at, at Mary, uh, pregnant with the king and the peace that she has as a result of her uh, meeting with Gabriel. And then finally, we'll look at um, how we can personally appropriate that peace in our lives. That may seem like a lot to do in a 30-minute message, but uh, we're going to get it done. And so uh, let, let's get going. So God's offer of eternal peace. Let's look at that first of all. Uh, God's offer of eternal peace. You know, the Treaty of Versailles marked the end of World War I, and that is a cover page of the Treaty of Versailles that was signed at the end of World War I, ending uh, the war between Germany and its allies and uh, the other European allies. And the end of the war was Germany lost that war, and the Treaty of Versailles required that uh, Germany have to accept all the blame for the war, it's your responsibility and it's your fault that this war was caused, and you have to pay all the reparations, all the damage that you caused because the war was your fault. And Germany was forced to sign that treaty as a result of them losing the war. Uh, to the victor goes the spoils, right? And, and so Germany was not the victor and, and they had to accept responsibility uh, as a term of peace. And so uh, they were forced to uh, give up substantial property, a territory that they had acquired. Uh, and they had to disarm and they were forced to pay what amounted to about $31 billion of 1917 money uh, out to its enemies. And so uh, the penalties to Germany, of course, were harsh. And for Germans living in Germany, they had a very strong sense of nationalistic pride, and they didn't like that they had to pay such harsh terms in their opinion, and so they were angry and they were bitter about that. And what happened then was that a young man by the name of Adolf Hitler, only 20 years later, rose up, capitalized on their strong sense of nationalism and pride, and promised them that he would return Germany to their future glory. And only 20 years later, he put into motion the events that led to World War II. And so at the end of World War I, the war was over, but there was no peace, right? There was no peace. Hostility remained, even though the bullets stopped flying. Well. When we talk about hostility between nations and the peace that results, that's different from hostility with God and the peace that results from the hostility when the hostility with God ends. God is different than us, right? God is different than nations, and he's able to offer peace differently than we're able to offer peace. The Bible says that God is holy, and God must punish sin, and, and so he does punish sin, uh, and, and he does it because of the wrath of God. We see the wrath of God poured out throughout the Bible, and he pours it out when he sees idolatry, uh, when, he, when he sees people speaking not rightly of God, uh, when he sees people engaging in willful sin, uh, and they won't turn from it, uh, not obeying him, uh, people doing whatever is right in their own eyes and not following God's commands. And so all of these things result in the wrath of God. There is hostility between us and God because of our sin. 
And apart from God's grace, we are doomed for hell. We are destined for hell. That's what we deserve. That's where we're going to go. But then God sent his only son to die on a cross so that if we believe, we can have eternal life with him. Uh, And he died for our sins so we could have this eternal life. And, And so that is God's offer of peace to us. And there's nothing in us that merits this offer of peace. Uh, in fact, it's just the opposite. It's, it's, it's because he is so gracious and he is so good and because he loves us so much, uh, God offers us this peace not because of who we are, but because of who he is. And so let's just look at it. Let's look at this invitation. There are many throughout the Bible, but I want to look at Romans chapter 5, verses 8 through 10. But God demonstrates his own love toward us In that, while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Much more than, having now been justified by his blood, we shall be saved from the wrath of God through him. For if, while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his son, much more, having been reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. This is a phenomenal offer of peace to us. We are sinners. Jonathan Edwards wrote a sermon once called Sinners, in the hands of an angry God. That's a phenomenal title for a sermon. And yet God offers this peace to us, right? Uh, Sinners in the hands of an angry God means doom doom and destiny for punishment. But because of who God is, uh, he makes this incredible offer of peace to us. Uh, At the end of World War I, Germany had to sign this treaty or the war would have continued on and and they, they would have suffered even further damage. And if our God, our war with God was a human war, we would have had to pay reparations to God, right? We would have had to pay back to God because we are the ones who are the aggressors toward God. And yet, uh, because of his great love and because of his great grace toward us, uh, God makes the first move. And that's why it says in verse 8, while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. While we were in open hostility, open rebellion against God, God dies for us. And God's grace costs us nothing, and it costs him everything. God had to send his own son to pay for this sin. Those of us who have accepted God's offer of peace, we have been justified. That that is, we have been saved. That means we have eternal life with him. Uh, And and so we we have to ask the question, well, what are we saved from? Look at what verse 9 says. We shall be saved from the wrath of God through him. So those of us who have accepted God's gracious offer don't have to worry about uh, whether we're going to suffer the wrath of God. The hostility between us and God is over. The war is complete. It's done. Uh, And that's why uh, even though we will offend God from time to time by our sin, we don't have to worry about whether the war continues on because Romans 8.1 says there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And that is one of the most comforting and most fantastic verses in the entire Bible. When we sang, Hark the Herald Angels Sing this morning, uh, those words are are just amazing, right? Uh, Peace on earth and mercy mild, God and sinners reconciled. That's fantastic, right? That's what God does for us. And so the bill for our past, present, and future offenses has already been paid, and it's been paid by the one who is offended. That is a staggering offer of God's grace. And and this is the condition of those who have accepted this gracious offer of the Lord Jesus Christ through faith. But there remains the condition of those who have not accepted this gracious offer and invitation from God to be reconciled to him. 
John 3.36 says that he who believes in the Son has eternal life, but he who does not obey the Son will not see life, but the wrath of God abides on him. So we have two kinds of people in the world, right? Those who have accepted God's gracious offer and those who have not. Those who will spend eternity with God and those who will not. Those who are reconciled to God and those who are not. Uh, and, and so these are the two ki- t- uh, kinds of people in the world. And, and what we see today is that uh, if you look out in the world, uh, there are a whole lot of people who have not accepted God's gracious offer, right? And we are here to go out into the world and help people understand that there is an offer and that we have to get them to understand this offer uh, and to, to move towards accepting it. But let me ask you as you sit here today, I mean, if you happen to be here today, and I don't know if there's anybody like this in this room, I, I doubt it, but if there are, if there's anybody in this room who has not accepted God's gracious offer, let's settle that issue today. Accept God's gracious offer of peace and a removal of hostility with you so that you know that you will spend eternity with him in heaven. Jesus Christ died for our sins and rose from the dead so that we can have eternal life. Accept it, believe it, be reconciled to God, uh, and have God's offer of eternal peace dwelling within you. All right, so that is God's offer of eternal peace. But, but once we have God's offer of eternal peace, there still remains, uh, how do we live out this Christian life? How do we, how do we daily uh, appropriate God's peace? Well, there's a couple ways that we do it. We have God's offer of daily peace, and, and I think there are three things that play a role in God's offer of daily peace. There's the role of the Holy Spirit uh, in, in us having peace with God and, and peace in our own lives. Uh, there's the role of prayer in that, and there's also the role of thinking properly uh, in those things uh, if we're going to have this daily peace. And so uh, that's what I want to talk about now, God's offer of daily peace. Having Having peace with God is just the most valuable thing that there is in the world because every other kind of peace stems from the peace that we have with God. Matthew 16, 26 says, For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? Or what will a man give in exchange for his soul? Well, when we get this peace with God that we were just talking about, uh, we get something incredible. We get God's Holy Spirit given to us, indwelling us to live inside of us. And Romans 8, 9 says that if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he does not belong to him. So if you are a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, you have the Holy Spirit dwelling inside you. And I hope I can prove it to you. You have been a sinner in your life. I have been a sinner in my life. And as we grow in our walk with God, we ought to, if we have the Holy Spirit in us, the sins that we commit ought to grieve us. We, we ought to mourn our sins. We ought to regret our sins. And if we do, it's because we have the Holy Spirit living in us who we are grieving when we sin. And, and we feel that. And so that's one evidence of the Holy Spirit. Another evidence is that I hope that as we continue in our Christian walk, Uh, we sin with much less uh, frequency, regularity, and intensity uh, than we used to. Uh, I pray that that the Holy Spirit convicts us of our sin, and and if that has happened in your life where you're not committing the same kinds of sins over and over again, it's because the Holy Spirit is doing a work in your life so that you will not continue to commit the same kinds of sins over and over again. So I'm going to assume 
uh, for our purposes today, that we are all believers. We're all indwelt by the Holy Spirit. Uh, and, and so we'll talk about the Holy Spirit's role in giving us this daily peace. And, and I wish I had time today to uh, expound all of the ministries of the Holy Spirit, but it's not possible to do in just a couple of minutes. I want to talk about just a couple of them. Uh, let's talk about Acts chapter 1. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. You will receive power. That means that you're going to get a power that you didn't have before you became a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ. And, and so the power you receive is the ability to do things that you could not do in your own power, that you couldn't do before you were a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ. And one of those things is to obtain this peace. Uh, and, and one of the ways that we obtain this peace is through prayer. Uh, we don't know how to pray properly because we are weak and we ask for things that we really don't need or don't want or wouldn't ask for if we knew the mind of Christ. Uh, but Romans 8.26 says that the Spirit also helps us in our weakness, for we do not know how to pray as we should. But the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches the hearts knows the mind of the Spirit, what the mind of the Spirit is, because he intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. Is that unbelievable? I mean, we don't know how to pray, and yet the Holy Spirit takes our prayers and molds them into something and then sends them up to God, and he is God, and, and they all know what we meant, even though we were not able to articulate it. That's a fantastic thing. If we ever understood the power of the Holy Spirit that we have living in us, if we could ever fully utilize the power of the Holy Spirit, you, you probably have heard it said that, that we only use, you know, 5, 10, 15, 20% of our brain capacity, whatever it is, depending on what journal you read. The Holy Spirit is like that too. We use such little capacity of the Holy Spirit. If we ever fully tapped into what the Holy Spirit uh, can do for us, our lives would be changed and they would be free from peace, I mean, not from peace, from worry, from fear, from conflict, from stress, from anxiety, from all of these things that, that cause us not to have peace. Uh, and so that's what this, the beauty of this Romans 8.26 is, is that uh, we can be so depressed and so anxious and so worried that we don't even know what to pray, and yet uh, the Holy Spirit can take that little kernel, whatever it is, and turn it into a prayer uh, to God. And, and since the Holy Spirit is God, he understands. He knows what we're going through. We don't have to worry about whether he's heard our prayer or understood our prayer. He compensates for our weakness uh, by his great power to help us in our prayers. So that is the role of the Holy Spirit in giving us daily peace. We need to tap into that power. But there's also the role of prayer in that. Uh, the Holy Spirit helps us pray, but we need to pray as well and, and realize that Paul's letter to the Philippians is written to a group of Holy Spirit indwelt believers, and he's trying to tell them that you can have this kind of daily peace, and I want to tell you how you can have it. So let's just take a look at, at uh, the passage that uh, Mickey and Lloyd read to us, and I just want to think about these commands from Paul. Look what he says. He says, be anxious for nothing and rejoice in the Lord always in verses four and six. Rejoice in the Lord always. Always rejoice in the Lord. So no matter what we're going through, rejoice in the Lord always and be anxious for nothing. Uh, you and I have all lived long enough to know that it's very, very difficult to be anxious for nothing ever, right? Even for a minute. And he says, don't ever, ever be anxious. Rejoice in the Lord always. How is it possible to be anxious for nothing? 
and rejoice in the Lord always. Uh, when we've just gotten a bad diagnosis or when uh, our spouse has walked in and said, uh, I'm leaving, or when your boss calls you into your office and says the company is downsizing and, and we don't have a place for you here anymore. How is it possible to be anxious for nothing when these things are going on? Well, tucked right in the middle there in verse 5, it says, the Lord is near. And we have to understand that, that the Lord is near. In fact, he's so near that he dwells within us. He, he lives in our very hearts. Uh, and so when we, when, we, when we see that, we, we have to look at Paul, how he's telling us to pray and how he commands us to make our requests known to God. Do you see that? Make your requests known to God. And then the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Guard them from what? Guard them from fear, guard them from worry, guard them from anxiety, stress, conflict, and all these things that separate us from God's peace. Well, notice there that it doesn't say anything about answered prayer. It doesn't say God will answer your prayer and then you will have peace. It says, no, just let your requests be made known to God. And so he's not going to answer every prayer the way we ask him to. But it's in the asking that the peace is found. It's not in the, in the answered prayer that the peace is found. It's in the asking that the peace is found. Because Romans 28 of 26 that we just looked at says uh, that, that he can take our prayers and mold them into what he wants them to be. And so when we love God, when we surrender all of our problems to him, and we trust him with the outcomes, and when we know that God works all things according uh, to his purposes, right? And that he, he, he gives them to us because we love him. Uh, when we understand that God answers our prayers according to his eternal knowledge and goodness and sovereignty and not our limited understanding, then we can release our worry and our fear and our anxiety. We can turn that over to him because it's just in the asking. You ask God, whether he answers you or not, that's God's business. But you ask him, you let him know your concerns, and then it's up to God. And when you trust him with that, then you can have daily peace. And if you do those two things, if you trust the Holy Spirit, and, and if you are praying uh, in the will of the Lord, then Paul says the next thing you need to do is think properly. He's going to talk about that in verses 8 and 9. So after we have trusted the Holy Spirit, uh, and after we have prayed, just made our requests known to God, then what do we do? Well, we think proper thoughts. In verses 8 and 9, uh, Paul commands us to think about things other than what is causing our worry, our fear, our anxiety, and everything else. I know when I have had my own personal problems in the past, my mind will focus like a laser on that problem, and it will spin and spin and ask the what-if questions and say, well, if this happens, what if this happens? And then what if this happens? And then what if this happens? And before you know it, I am down a road that's you know, 10 years out, uh, catastrophizing the worst possible conceivable outcome that could ever happen in a million years. Uh, that's, that's how my mind goes, and, and when we're stressed out, that is what happens uh, to, our, to our lives and to our minds. And Paul says, don't do that. Don't dwell on the things that are causing you all the stress. Uh, try to focus on these things, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is of good repute. If there's any excellence or anything worthy of praise, dwell on these things. And if you do that, follow me, do the things that I did. And if you do that, the God of peace will be with you. So it's so hard to think about 
these kinds of things, when we are so worried about some other kind of thing, whatever it is that's, that's causing us our anxiety and stress. But Paul says, this is the formula for peace. He says, make your requests known to God, surrender everything to him, trust him with the outcome, and then think about good things, and then the God of peace will be with you. So that's a formula for obtaining God's peace. Let's take a look at a 17, 16, 15-year-old girl and how she was able to get God's peace after her encounter with the angel Gabriel when Mary found out that she was going to be pregnant with the king. When Mary learned that she would be pregnant with the king, she immediately experienced fear, confusion, anxiety, maybe even disbelief. Uh, and so uh, she, has to, she has to wrestle with, this th with these things in her mind. So let's read uh, from Luke chapter 1, verses 26 to 33. We'll read about Mary's appropriation of God's peace. Now in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city in Galilee called Nazareth, to a virgin engaged to a man whose name was Joseph, of the descendants of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. And coming in, he said to her, Greetings, favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was very perplexed at this statement and kept wondering what kind of salutation this was. The angel said, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall name him Jesus. He shall be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and his kingdom will have no end. All right, uh, brief intermission as we talk about where this happened. I love pictures, and so we're going to talk about where it happened. This is the Church of the Annunciation in Nazareth. This is what it looks like today. This structure was built in 1969 but it's built over an old Byzantine church, which was built over the traditional site of the cave where Gabriel came to Mary. So this church exists there now, and uh, many of you, some of you may have been there before. This is the uh, steeple. And when you go inside, this is what it looks like. That's at the main altar. Again, this is a new church, uh, but what's not new is this area. This is uh, down in the lower levels of the church. This is a Catholic mass being celebrated uh, around this grotto, which I'll show you a close-up in a second, this is the, the traditional place where uh, the angel Gabriel came to Mary. And you can stand right there, and you can see those bricks up there in the uh, back ceiling. That is, that, those bricks date back to the 4th century, uh, and that is the cave where uh, Gabriel came to Mary according to tradition. So how cool is that, that it happened right there, and you can go see it today if you want to. Um, well, it's not every day that an angel comes to you uh, and starts speaking to you in your own house, right? He shows up at your house, and, and, and Gabriel says to her, greetings, favored one. Uh, and and, and uh, her immediate response is, is fear, right? The, the Greek word there is diatarasso, and it's a kind of a, a hard word to translate. That's why some of your Bibles may say very troubled. Some may say she was very perplexed. Others may say she was sore, afraid. Uh, you get different translations because that word is, is, has a, a bunch of nuances of meaning. Uh, but what's happening is that the bottom line is Mary is afraid because she's been greeted by this angel and she's confused and she's worried. And the angel immediately gives her the peace of God. She says, the Lord is with you. Do not be afraid. 
But then Gabriel goes on and, and he's, he's going to make all these statements to Mary that would have fulfilled Old Testament prophecies. And you can imagine that Mary, just a young teenage girl, her mind is going to be blown by this. So he, the Messiah is going to, to, to come and he's been promised for centuries that he will come. Uh, and the people had been eagerly awaiting him. And so I think it's, it's possible or even likely that maybe every teenage girl in Israel during these years was thinking, maybe I, maybe I will be the mother of the Messiah. So how cool when this angel Gabriel comes and speaks to her and says, you are the favored one, Mary. You are the one who is chosen. Uh, and so what happens then? Gabriel tells her that she'll have a son. And since she is a virgin, probably Isaiah 7:14 would come to mind. Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, a virgin will be with child and bear a son, and she will call his name Emmanuel. And Gabriel also said that he would be called great, son of the Most High, and his kingdom would have no end. And that would bring uh, to mind a passage like Isaiah 9, verses 6 and 7. For a child will be born to us, a son will be given to us, and the government will rest on his shoulders. And his name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal Father, Prince of Peace. There will be no end to the increase of his government or of peace. And also 2 Samuel 7:16, your house and your kingdom shall endure before me forever. Your throne shall be established forever. And so here's Mary hearing these incredible words from the angel Gabriel. And she's probably not afraid anymore because the angel has put her at peace. But now she's utterly confounded, utterly confused. She asked how this could be since she's only a virgin. And so the angel answers and says to her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. And for that reason, the Holy Child shall be called the Son of God. And behold, even your relative Elizabeth has conceived in her old age and she who was called barren is now in her sixth month for nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary said, Behold, the bond slave of the Lord, may it be done to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. Now, do you think that the angel Gabriel answered every question that Mary had before he departed? I've known lots of girls, and girls have lots of questions. <laughs> she didn't ask a whole lot of questions, right? Uh, what will happen to me when, I'm when I found out that I am pregnant? Uh, what will my parents do? Will I be cast out? Will Joseph cast me out? Will the society scorn me because of my immorality? And aside from those questions, uh, what's going to happen to me? What's going to happen to my, this child? What's going to happen over the next 30 years? What's, what's going to happen? And Mary didn't ask any of these questions, did she? She had God's peace. She surrendered it all to God. She released her worry and her fear and her anxiety. And she said just the most amazing statement, Behold, the bond slave of the Lord, may it be done according to your word. That's an incredibly mature response from a 17, 16-year-old girl. Uh, I cannot count many times that I've said in my life, may it be done according to your will, Lord. My, my response is, Lord, will you do it kind of according to my will too? <laughs> and, you know, make it not so painful. But that's, that's not how God works. Uh, but Mary, she wasn't worried about this new world of uncertainty that she was going to have. I mean, she was worried about it, but she had God's peace going alongside of her. And so did it mean that there would not be trouble? No, I mean, Mary's life was full of trouble, but it meant that, that through it all, she knew that the peace of God was going to be with her. She had God's reassurance 
and she was blessed to be pregnant with the king. What an incredible blessing. Well, God wants us to have that kind of peace too. So how can we have God's peace? The first thing is a rather simple one. It's simply believe the gospel. You cannot have the peace of God until you have peace with God. You cannot have the peace of God until you have peace with God. You need to understand that. Uh, Settle that issue today. Know that you have peace uh, with God and then that you have eternal life with him and then you can have the peace of God to permeate your life. And assuming that you do, then pray for peace. You know, prayer is not a last resort when everything else fails. Do you know that? That that's not how we're supposed to to do things? We're not supposed to try everything in our own human strength and then, you know, use God as a a bailout valve at the end when all of our human efforts fail. Uh, We're supposed to do it all the time and especially when trouble comes because peace is always a gift of God. It's not something that we can appropriate for ourselves. Uh, He gives it to us because he is the God of peace and he dispenses it as he wills And as we ask, right? James says, you do not have because you do not ask. So pray for peace uh, and he will dispense it as we ask. And finally, surrender all to him. When you rely on him, and I mean fully rely on him, 100% rely on him, surrender everything to him, trust him in all circumstances, no matter what, and, and you be faithful and you let God worry about outcomes, then you can have the kind of peace that Mary had. I want this kind of peace. Do you want this kind of peace? I don't always have this kind of peace in my life, and I bet you don't all always have this kind of peace in your life either. Uh, God will give us this peace, and we have to cooperate with him to allow him to give us this kind of peace because you will never have it if you remain consumed with fear and worry. And sometimes being consumed with fear and worry is a choice that we make. We have a choice in that matter. Paul said, think about these things. Don't think about these things. And so we can do that. Uh, So you have to choose to surrender to him. And like Mary say, thy will be done. And if we can say thy will be done, we can have peace. It's a simple formula, yet so hard sometimes. And and if you're like me, uh, you're going through something hard, you have a hard time implementing a formula like this, but you just simply have to do this. You have to believe. You have to pray, you have to surrender, and you will have peace. And we can only have peace because Jesus died for our sins and rose from the dead. So I encourage you all to try to implement this formula. When when times get tough, when when there is no peace in your life, uh, try to remember these things, And uh, starting with the preacher. And we we will try to see if we can learn to have God's peace. Let's pray. Lord God, we do thank you that you have made provision for us so that we who deserve nothing but wrath and hostility can have peace, uh, eternal peace with you, a daily peace in our own lives, uh, a way to deal with the stress and anxiety that comes our way because we are human and because humanity is full of conflict and stress and worry and we cause each other so much conflict and stress and strife. Lord, we can have peace because you have given us a way through your son, Jesus Christ, Lord, because we have peace with you, we can have peace with each other, and we can have peace with ourselves, and we don't have peace like the nations give. Lord, your son said, peace I leave you, my peace I give you, not as the world gives to you, do I give unto you. And Lord, let us appropriate that kind of peace so that we can have that peace and walk forward knowing that 
because we have the Lord Jesus, we can have peace in this world, and we celebrate this Advent season and the, the great gift that you give us of your peace. We praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.